0: To First Thessalonians, please. By the way, it's um, we've had some new people join our church. Eric and Beth Bischoff. Eric, stand up if you would. Uh, where's Beth? Isn't she here? <laughs> Children, she's out there somewhere. Um, greet them uh, and welcome them to fullness. Let me ask you this: When was the last time you wrote a letter? I mean, not just a thank you note, one of those, you ripped off one of those quick, thanks for the blank, uh, I'll use it so much, thanks, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. Not, a, not a, a thank you note, but a letter, where you put in the letter your thoughts, your feelings, what you've done. Um, for most of us, letter writing has disappeared. With the advent of phones, particularly cell phones and texting and emails, letter writing has pretty much disappeared. In a Newsweek article called The History and Lost Art of Letter Writing, Malcolm Jones writes the following. For hundreds of years, or at least since pens and paper became commonplace, people who wanted to get in touch with other people separated by distance only had one way to do it. They wrote Letters. The only means of long-distance communication, at least until the invention of the telegraph in the 19th century. Beginning with Mr. Morris's innovation, modern communication technologies have slowly but all too surely eroded that necessity. First, rendering letter-writing one option among many, and then merely a quaint habit. Here's the part I want you to hear. But where would Western civilization be without letters? For starters, we wouldn't have most of the New Testament. Whatever you may think of St. Paul, he was indisputably a tireless letter writer. Even in the Newsweek article, they recognize that history would not be the same if we didn't have letters. Uh, Over the last couple of years, I've read certain biographies of um, Jefferson and John Adams and Tom uh, uh, of Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton. Uh, I've read these biographies, uh, even Bonhoeffer's biographies, and mu- uh, much of what was communicated in those biographies is a result of accumulation of their letter writing. It's kind of funny. What, what is history? Let's say history looks back at you and me and tries to determine something about my life. For most of us, it's going to be like LOL. Uh, You know, it's going to be like a smiley face with a wink. Uh, It's going to be just K because we can't even write OK anymore. We just, you know, that takes too long, so we just write K. Uh, I I mean, that's that's what history is going to say about us because we do not write letters anymore. I want to begin a summer series where we look at Some of the shorter letters of the New Testament. Uh, These are books of the Bible, the shorter letters, most of which I haven't covered uh, over the last 25 years, and some of them are really longer letters, like the one we're going to look at this morning, than than really should be done in one week. But I want to give you a survey of these shorter letters, and I'm titling it Big Little Letters, because in these Smaller letters of the New Testament that carry a powerful punch. So each week we're going to look at a different letter, starting with some of the letters of Paul, then 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude. So Gabriel and uh, Scott are going to help me with this series. So every week is going to be a different letter. So if you have to, you know, I, I know it's the summer. By the way, dress down for the rest of the summer. I obviously am, and so uh, just come comfortable. It's, uh, it's hot outside. Let's just enjoy looking at these letters and worshiping together and studying God's, God's Word. Also, in the uh, foyer, every single week, we're going to have an outline of the book we're talking about, so you can just pick up a, a bulletin-size outline. You can stick in your Bible, take with you as you read the book. It'll help you discover some things about the book so today we're going to start with a quiz you already some of you are like i just got out of school i don't want to take another test but i'm going to give you a quiz how many books of the new testament were written by paul do not open your bibles and start counting just write down a number hey write it down get your letter get your stuff out there's a quiz There'll be prizes or something later. I'll figure out what it is. Okay, second question. Approximately how old was Paul when he was executed? Just take a shot. How old was Paul when he was executed? Here's one How was Paul executed? According to tradition, best we know, how was Paul executed? Approximately how many miles did Paul travel during his three missionary journeys? Some of you are like, I I don't even know where to start. Okay, it's either 7,000, 8,000, or 9,000 miles. I'll give you a multiple choice on that one. In which of Paul's letters would you find the quote, you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you? I thought I'd give you one. Yeah, it's not a trick question, actually. <laughs> and uh, what percentage of Paul's missionary life was spent in prison? What percentage of his missionary life was spent in prison? All right, you got your answers? Here we go. How many books in the New Testament were written by Paul? The answer is 13. 13. 13. I don't count Hebrews. That would be 14, but most people don't. So if you're 14, you're like, I I was counting Hebrews, right? Okay, approximately how old was Paul when he was executed? The answer, 58. You're younger than I am now. I feel like I haven't accomplished enough uh, when I see stuff like this. How was Paul executed? Uh, The answer is he was beheaded. By the way, you guys are going to need to download a later version of this in just a second because I think um, you, you got this early. So, And approximately how many miles did Paul... Are we on track here? How was Paul executed? He was beheaded. Sorry, I got distracted with my, my PowerPoint. Approximately how many miles did Paul travel during his three missionary journeys? Answer about 8,000. That's just, in his three journeys, total during his lifetime, it's been estimated that he traveled 17,000 miles. Now, I mean, think about the time, uh, his day uh, of traveling that many miles and the toll it must must have taken on him. Incredible. (laughs) This PowerPoint is going crazy on me. Galatians, by the way. I, I don't know what's going on. And approximately what percentage of Paul's missionary life was spent in prison? 25%. 25% of his time was ministering uh, out of prison. All right. While you guys change that and try and download the latest one, let me talk about the letter of 1 Thessalonians a little bit. The first letter to the Thessalonians is actually the first letter that Paul wrote. Uh, By some accounts... The, the First Thessalonians may have been the first book of the New Testament that was actually written. There is some debate that um, Mark and Matthew may have been written prior to the book of First Thessalonians, but it, it, in whatever case, they're they're pretty well written close together, sometime around fifty to fifty-one A.D. The background is this, and I won't go into it in too much depth. You can read about it in Acts chapter seventeen. Paul's ministry to the Thessalonian church. Do you remember Paul goes on a first missionary journey where he establishes some churches? He and Barnabas go back to Antioch. Um, they split the sheets over John Mark. Uh, they, they, they go their own way. Then he takes Silas with him on another missionary journey where he revisits some of the churches he first established. And then he has this vision of a man from Macedonia pleading for him to come over into Macedonia. So Paul and Silas, they go to Macedonia, and they first go to Philippi, where they minister. Things don't go great there. You know, they get thrown into prison. The, uh, the angel opens, the, the, you know, the whole Philippian jailer story, where the, the, the doors are thrown open, and the jailer's going to kill himself, but... Because he thinks the prisoners of escape of Paul and Silas, they're they're like, no, take it easy, we're still here. His family receives the Lord. They get released from prison, but they have to leave Philippi. And from Philippi, they go to Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica was a city of about 200,000 people or so, it was the largest city in Macedonia, it was the capital of Macedonia. And um, today, the modern city of uh, Thessaloniki, as it's called, is in is in Greece, and it's one of the cities that still still exist. Paul ministers in Thessalonica for about three weeks, and as was his practice, he went into the synagogue, he preaches the gospel, generally gets thrown out of there. Uh, some some Jews though come to know Christ in the gospel. He then starts proclaiming uh, the gospel and some pagans come to know, Greek pagans in this culture come to know uh, the Lord. So you've got this church that quickly springs up after about three weeks, think about this, three weeks of ministry. And a church is planted made up of Jews, some what are called God-fearing Greeks, meaning they had a a history um, with some understanding of the Bible, the Old Testament, And some pagans. Paul has to leave the city after three weeks. He goes from there down to Athens where he ministers, you know, the the famous sermon uh, in Athens. And from there, he goes to Corinth where he is for a period of time. And from Athens, he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica and says, you know, we had to leave so quick. The church was only three weeks old. Would you go back and check on it? Paul goes down to Corinth where he... He establishes his problem child church uh, that's always causing him difficulty in Corinth. And Timothy comes down from Thessalonica and says to Paul, Hey, here's the state of the church in Thessalonica. Paul then has some concerns. Again, think about this. Three weeks he establishes a church. Who's going to lead? I mean, really, you've got some God-fearing Jews, uh, Greeks, and some Jews, and some pagans, and after three weeks, you've got to leave, and you've got to leave some leadership in the church. I mean, they don't know that much. Years ago, my dad went to minister in Albania shortly after communism fell, and in Albania, it was a totally pagan, I say pagan, it was a godless culture because the communists had... The leadership—it was really dictatorial—had determined there was going to be no faith of any kind. So my dad goes to minister to a church, and it was like this: the people got saved, and you know, the guy who got saved last week—he's the leader uh, in the church because he's got a whole week ad- advantage. And so my dad would go to teach, and he, he would start to teach and he'd say stuff like, uh, "You know, you know the story of Moses." The people would look around, like, do you know the story of Moses? Do you know the story? I mean, we, we live in such a biblically literate culture, really, that we have no clue. And these are the leaders, and they, they just knew Jesus. They knew the gospel, but no one had really taught them. And so Paul has to write back to this church that's undergoing persecution and difficulties and trying to help straighten out their theology. So there are some different things that are going on. First of all, whenever Paul left a the city, um, <clears throat> there's a group of Jews who would follow him in. They were called Judaizers, and they would basically say, hey, Paul told you about Jesus, but listen, Paul is not a real apostle because he didn't hang with Jesus. And so uh, we, we're, 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 we need to tell you what Paul didn't tell you, which is basically to be... Christian, you got to be Jewish. So you're going to have to follow the law. And they would try and establish, they would rob the message of grace and substitute it with religious legalism. Bottom line. So Paul is writing to say, hey, don't, be, don't fall for this. Don't go, don't let the message of grace leave you and start following the law. Then... Uh, <clears throat> They're undergoing persecution. So part of the letter is you, you, you've got to persevere under difficulties. You're going to have problems. We don't even understand. Tom understands. Tom, you know, spoke of things we don't really understand. I'll, your permits get pulled. The, your Christian faith gets... It's, if you're a follower of Christ, you're going to be persecuted. We barely know any kind of taste of that. So he's exhorting the church to hold up under the face of difficulty. He declares, and again, they're only out of paganism. Some of them are three weeks, you know, after three weeks of preaching. So they're still learning. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And in the pagan culture that they come from, sexual immorality and worship were wed together. There was a, you know, not only was sexual immorality accepted, it was, you know, like embraced and said, if you want to worship, it's part of the... So Paul is trying to, to, to communicate to them the superior moral standing. Look at the dance he's having to do here, so to speak. He's trying to teach them, don't fall into legalism, but don't fall into immorality. You understand So he says stuff like, hey, may the God of peace, may he sanctify you through and through. May your entire spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless till the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's trying to communicate to them how to live moral lives in an immoral culture without becoming legalists and losing the message of grace. And then at some point, Paul had taught them about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so they really liked that teaching they embraced that teaching to the point that some of them had said, you know, Jesus is coming back any day. Let's just quit work. Let's quit work. And apparently, and I, I, don't want, I want to be careful in how I word this, but carefully they, they said, hey, let's just pray and worship until Jesus comes back. And they'd quit their jobs, and they were all just kind of gathering and praying and worshiping and just waiting for Jesus to show back up. Then he speaks to some certain matters in in the church that were going on. Don't don't these problems for a three-week-old church, don't they sound like the same problems we face today? Oh, how do I not get legalistic? How how do I live a moral life? How do we undergo persecution? How do we stay on track and not let certain theological things get get us... so far off that we lose the message of grace and we don't communicate to the world what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ in our sphere of influence? How do we become separate, but live separate holy lives, but become not so separate that we don't minister the gospel to the world around us? Thessalonians is only five chapters long, but it contains a powerful, powerful punch for what it communicates to us. The key verses as I see them are in 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 11 through 13. And he says this. And by the way, in verse 10, he says, I'm praying for you. And then this is the content of his prayer. When he says, Now may our God and Father himself, our Lord Jesus, clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. You see, just in these couple of verses, how Paul is addressing some of the concerns that I told you about in the in the church. And and here's what I want to say. Here's some truths that Paul is communicating to them that can also help us in our relationship to the world and to one another. So here we go. And the points will be much shorter than the intro, by the way. So some of you are panicking a little bit. It's going to be good. Number one, love one another. Love one another. He says in verse 12, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you love one another. And again, he's talking to a church that is made up now of Jews who have followed the law and are now coming to faith, God-fearing Gentiles, those who studied the Bible but are not Jewish at this point, and then just the pagans, those who don't know Jack. They're just coming in and, hey, I know Jesus and that's it. I think Paul is saying this may the lord make your love overflow. He's not saying, "Hey, you got to love people." He's saying our only hope here for the right kind of love is the lord increasing love in our hearts for one another. How do you express love? How do you express love to someone? By the way, there, the list here is really long, and I just want to look at one aspect of it that Paul, I think, gives us in the book of Thessalonians. He says, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Sometimes people feel, don't feel love because they don't feel appreciated. They don't feel like they're adding value. One of the ways you can express love, is what I'm saying, is by just thanking someone for what they've done in your life. I mean, think of the ways you can practically express thanks to someone and how that will communicate to them love. I just wrote down a couple of examples. So, for, for instance, say to someone, give them a specific example or a time where they did something and you can say thank you to them. Just to say, hey, thanks, Joanna, for when you helped when you did this, just thank them for something specific. Do something little but thoughtful for them. Some of our children are here in first through sixth grade. Hey, think about this. What if one of the ways you said thanks to your mom was as soon as dinner was over, getting up and doing the dishes without her telling you to have to do the dishes? Well, first of all, she'd faint. But second, it would just be a way of saying, thanks, hey, thanks, Mom, for making dinner. Just doing an act. I mean, anything. It could be any, any along those lines, uh, ways of gratitude. Offer to do something you know they don't enjoy doing, like organizing their closet or mowing their lawn. Tell them you're available if they want to talk about something. Call them up. Ask them to go to a cup of coffee and say thanks. Thanks for your life and what you've given me. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Just think of a practical way to show thanks to someone, because when you do... In a lot of senses, you're expressing, expressing love to them. Here's your assignment for this week. Think of someone that you can say thanks to. It is not a major assignment. I mean, this should be easy. Figure out a practical way to say thank you to someone this week, to show love, love to them. Express it. Second point, encourage one another. Encourage one another. He goes on in verse 13 and says, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. People knew that, Paul Paul knew that these believers were facing difficult trials. He says back in verse 2 and 3 in the same chapter, chapter 3, he says to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. He was wanting to come visit them to strengthen and encourage them in their faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. Without getting into too much detail, here's the thought. You're destined for trials. The, 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 the gospel, and it's not really the gospel, but the teaching that says you get to miss the trials because God has wealth and health and everything else destined for you, is missing the mark. Paul is saying you are destined for trials. That's why we need to encourage one another. The Greek word here is the word from which we get the Holy Spirit as well uh, to talk about coming alongside to strengthen. In other words, we come alongside one another and we lift each other up. We build each other up. We We help one another. What is the implication there? Well, the implication is that there are points in my life where I'm going to be weak. Undergoing trials is going to drain me. And what's needed is someone to come alongside and to help get me going, keep me going. And you need it as well. Over the past couple of months, it seems like uh, one of the trials at the Brookings household is that the batteries in our car keep dying. I don't know why, it's just one of those things where batteries... So when your battery dies, you hope somebody close by has a car that has a battery that works. And you get those jumper cables, red to red, black to black, right? Important safety tip, red to red, black to black. Hook up the cars, and the battery that's full on the one car helps get the other one that's now empty and won't start... I mean, it's a simple illustration, but really that's what happens when you encourage someone. You you come alongside because all of us at different times, we do become weary in well-doing and we need help and encouragement to keep moving forward. One of the lessons of 1 Thessalonians is this, we need one another. This love and this encouragement will help keep moving us forward in difficult times. There's a story of um, Jackie Robinson when he entered the major leagues as the first African-American baseball player, and he played for the Brooklyn Dodgers, and there's a story told about how in one game, they were playing, I think, as the story goes, it was in Cincinnati, and um, Jackie Robinson makes an error, and uh, the fans... And the other team are hurling insults at him that, are, that would, would, would make Roseanne Barr look like a goddess today. I mean, it's, it was horrible. For those of you who don't read the news, you should. Anyway, it, it, was, it was bad. It's so bad that at this point, Jackie Robinson said he thought about actually walking off the field and quitting baseball. He's like, I just can't take this anymore. One of the most highly respected players in baseball at the time was a guy named Pee Wee Reese, who played shortstop for the Dodgers. And Jackie Robinson was evidently standing on second base, as the story goes, and Pee Wee Reese just walks over to him and just puts his arm around him and just stands there and looks at the crowd. Now, if you've seen the movie 42, they communicate, there's the story of Jackie Robinson, they, they talk, but... No one really knows what was said or what was done, but he just went and put his arm around him. Jackie Robinson said it just changed everything for him to know that one of his teammates stood with him. And it also changed the atmosphere, the way the fans responded because of the respect they have for Pee Wee Reese. And if you ever go to Brooklyn, you can go visit where the Brooklyn Cyclones, a minor league baseball team now plays, and they have a statue that commemorates this moment where Pee Reese stood with Jackie Robinson to encourage him. Listen, I don't care who you are. I don't care how great your natural talent is or what's going, where you come from. We all, all, all need encouragement at some point in our lives. We have to have it. And where are we going to get it if the church, the body of Christ, we don't stand with each other? Encourage one another. Finally, pray for one another. This whole thing is modeled in the form of a prayer. He says in verse 10, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. This is not a a looking down, saying what's lacking in your faith. You guys are lacking, lackeys, you know, kind of thing. He's saying, listen, I want to come and and strengthen and encourage, and I'm praying for you because I want to get there. This is, you know, praying for one another, that's that whole aspect of intercessory prayer. I mean, many of our prayers are... um, Kind of like, hey, 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 Lord, bless me and Kathy and our five kids, us seven and no more. Just bless us. I mean, many of our prayers are like that, where we're so consumed with praying for ourselves. Paul's prayer for one another and this encouragement to pray. Look look, Look at his prayer again in verses 11 through 13, where he says, Now, May our God and Father himself, this is his prayer again. and our Lord Jesus, clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with his holy ones. He prays, and this is these first two prayer requests are the two points I gave you earlier. What, how can we pray for one another? Well, Ask the Lord to fill us all with his love. Ask the Lord to fill me with his love and for you. In other words, pray for me that the love of God would be manifest in my life. I want to pray for you for that same thing to happen. How is the world going to know that we have, that we're his disciples? I ask this all the time, but Jesus said it. By the love we have for one another. Where's the enemy going to attack us? If this is true, he's going to attack us by us not really loving one another. You know, in love, it's not like loving tolerance. I can tolerate you. That's, I mean, it's got to go beyond that, doesn't it? Where we love one another. So we need to be, we, if we're going to pray for one another, let's pray for the love of God to increase for one another, for the gospel to go forth, for the world around us, for let the love of, we need to pray that the love of God would increase in all of our lives. We need to pray that our hearts would be strengthened. Because all of us, at times, our hearts grow weak. We, we need to continue to pray for this courage, encouragement to happen in our lives. This, this past week, I, I feel like I, I, I went to um, just to give you an idea. I went to um, freshman orientation. They should call it like freshman disorientation. I mean, mean, you kind of come away kind of, man, there's so much stuff. You know, this is like the fifth time I've gone through it. Um, So went there for a couple of days, went to a wedding yesterday down in Auburn. So you're just kind of running on empty at times. Physically, we all come into these places where we get physically, emotionally, spiritually, we feel depleted. So what should we do? Pray for—you don't even know what—and my week has been, you know, just—that's just life. It's just life coming out. But you never know what someone's going through around you. Pray for encouragement. Pray for strength to be in their lives. Pray that God would bless them. And keep us ready for His return. Keep us ready for His return. Uh, By the way, the end of chapter 4, beginning of chapter 5 of Thessalonians, is one of the longest discussions on the return of Jesus. So you can read, this, this church is really enamored with this whole topic, and Paul basically says, hey, get back to work, and now let me tell you some stuff about the return of Christ. We need to be ready for his return. In other words, I think what Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonica about the return of Christ is, look, Be ready every single moment. I mean, Paul honestly believed that Jesus was going to return in his lifetime, his generation. But he's saying to the people, stay, just keep focused on building for the next generation in case it's not this one. Live as if it's today, but prepare as if it's for the future. We should do the same thing, and it takes strength for that to happen. I want to encourage you this week, read 1 Thessalonians again. Read it in light of love and encouragement and prayer. And see what God will speak to you in these five glorious chapters. Think of ways that you can practically apply this powerful book. And while you're reading 1 Thessalonians, after you do it, just read 2 Thessalonians. Because next week, Gabriel's going to preach on the book of 2 Thessalonians so that you can kind of get the flow of what's taking place in the church around. I want to encourage you to encourage one another. To speak love to one another. To pray for one another. And, and I know this too. Some of you are like, I can't encourage somebody. I, I need encouraging. I'm just run down. i have just run over. I, I need. I don't have the strength. Listen, it's a funny deal, but... When you encourage someone, sometimes it comes back on you. You've heard the old joke about the Australian guy who bought a new boomerang? But the problem was he could never throw his old one away. You, you get it? Encouragement is like that. When you speak encouragement, it comes back in a way that you can't even, you can't even imagine. Encourage one another. Love one another. Somebody just got it. Um, yeah <laughs> encourage one another love one another pray for one another I want to pray for us right now that these things would be true in our lives Lord we thank you this morning Lord I pray for Fullness Christian Fellowship. I pray for this church. I pray that our love would increase, that our love would overflow. Oh, God, let it be manifest in our life. Let it so be, be so evident, not any kind of fakery or just toleration, but may there be a genuine love in this place for one another. Lord, forgive us where, rather than love, we substitute criticism, thinking it makes us look brilliant. Lord, let us love. Lord, I just speak, speak strength and encouragement over this place. May, may, the, may the wind of the Spirit just blow in our hearts and our lives today where we are strengthened. I pray that, that Holy Spirit, you would come alongside and we would come alongside each other to help move one another forward in the gospel, in the faith, in the power of the Lord. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people of prayer, praying for one another, that all of these other things, the, the, the love and the encouragement, it would be an aspect of prayer and that we would keep our hearts and lives pure before you every moment of every day. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this young church in Thessalonica that Paul wrote to 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 speak blessings over and life over and Lord may it be an example to us in how to carry out our faith. Lord, we bless you. Just stand up with me. We're going to worship for just a second. If you need prayer, I'm going to have some ministry teams come to my right and to my left. Uh, And at the